Welcome to the Elven Padawan Show, your place for everything Erebor to Echo Base. Now here's your host, Shay. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the Elven Padawan Podcast. It's been a long time since episode 1, but I'll get to that explanation in just a minute. First off, I just want to let everyone know that the format for this episode is going to be really different. That's partly because this is a discussion I recorded with a friend, but also just because the format's going to be changing around a bit as I continue to try to find my place in the podcast community. I'm relying on my listeners to be giving me input that will have a big part in molding the show into what you guys want to be hearing. Speaking of which... I want to give a shout out to Jenerso03 for leaving me my first review on iTunes. Please keep them coming, guys. That's really helpful. So now, about why it's taken me so long to get this episode out. I decided to just wait till summer and school was out to really dive into this whole podcasting thing. Things kept getting in my way. I would get a heap of schoolwork right when I wanted to try to record again. And it just wasn't working out. So I thought I'd just wait. And really start trying to learn and get underway with this once school let out for the year. I've tried to keep my website updated regularly. And if you haven't checked out elvenpadawan.com, please do so. There's some neat stuff on there. Like my gender-swapped Grand Admiral Thrawn cosplay that I did for May the 4th this year. Lots of things have happened in the Star Wars community since episode 1. Most notably would probably be Star Wars Celebration Orlando 2017. So much was revealed and announced there, like the announcement that Star Wars Rebels will end after Season 4, the Last Jedi trailer, the Battlefront 2 news, the announcement of new character Rose Tico to the sequel trilogy, which I'm really excited about. Always great to have another girl All these great things happen, and of course, I didn't get to go to Celebration. This year was the first year I actually watched the live streams, though, which was a lot of fun. And I did have a friend who went to Celebration. My friend Elias went and had a blast there. He's been telling us all about it. I don't have to say again how completely jealous I am of him. But when he got home, I asked him if he would mind writing out a sort of recap of his experiences there and he very kindly agreed and sent it in for me to read for to you today on this podcast. Here's what he had to say. Let me start out by saying that Star Wars Celebration is a great experience for anyone who is a fan, recent or for a long time. It's a great environment and makes you feel at home. Some of the stuff I enjoyed there were the panels, which were, quite frankly, awesome. I had the pleasure of seeing Anthony Daniels, Ray Park, Warwick Davis, Timothy Zahn, and the cast of Star Wars Rebels live on stage, as well as watching the cast of The Last Jedi streamed onto another stage. All the actors were super nice, and they really care about the fans. One downside to celebration, though. Over the course of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning, I waited in about 15 hours of lines. It was worth it, though. So, now for some quick review stuff on the big panels. The Last Jedi panel was insane. The excitement was so real and the teaser was great. I don't have much to say about that, but I'm really excited for more. I was fortunate to also attend Mark Hamill's tribute to Carrie Fisher. 
It was especially sad to me because I saw how hopeless an empty life without Christ is like, and to watch people try to cope with her death by their power alone, with no promise of eternity, made me really sad. The Rebel Season 4 panel was good, but everyone was disappointed to learn that Season 4 is the last season of Rebels. In the trailer, however, huge reveals. I'm a huge Thrawn fan, and Rook is now canon. Also, Bo-Katan and some other great reveals. Best of all, I got to watch the first episode of Season 4. It's all a fan could hope for and more. Also, the Celebration Expo was awesome, with the Star Wars show live and tons of exhibits. I spent more money there than I probably should have. So that was my experience. I hope that you get to experience the Celebration experience at some point as well. Thanks. So now on to my review of Zero Hour. It's been a while since that episode actually aired, I know, but I wanted to go ahead and get this out to you guys anyway. I invited my friend Evie over to my house. We watched the episode and then ranted on about it for over an hour afterwards. When I went to edit this, I decided to chop it into two separate portions, so that made the episodes about 30 minutes each. That way you guys didn't zone out and it was a little more manageable. I really apologize for that annoying bumping and the barking dog in the background throughout my discussion. This was the first time I'd attempted to do anything like this, and I'm still learning, so please just bear with me. Also, my editing program glitched up on me the other day as I was finishing this up, and decided that it needed to start taking chunks out of the middle of my audio. I'm not sure why it did that, I'm still having a little bit of trouble with it. So now, on to our review of Zero Hour. Hello and welcome to this second ever episode of the Elven Padawan podcast. I'm here today with my friend Evie to talk about the Star Wars Rebels season three finale, Zero Hour. We're going to jump right into our review slash obsession over this episode. The episode opened with Grand Admiral Thrawn meeting with Governor Price and Admiral Constantine and contacting Tarkin and he says... Phoenix Squadron is coming and they're going to wipe us out. And the TIE Defenders, which they just recently started building. And so he's thinking, well then, we instead are going to catch them before they do it. And all this time, Callus, who has secretly been being Fulcrum and has been the spy, he's the Rebels. Back at the Rebel base, all the Rebels are preparing to go attack Lothal and they have no clue what's going on. And we get to see General Dodonna for the first time in Rebels and we see him in Rogue One and we see him in A New Hope. And um, it's really cool to see Rogue Squadron going to join up with Phoenix Squadron because you're seeing these people like Mon Mothma and General Dodonna and they're all getting together with like the Rebels crew who is just like, oh look, it's all becoming a big picture and it's really neat. Callus is trying to warn the rebels on Adalon that Thrawn's going to attack them, but then the transmission is cut off of a sudden, and Grand Admiral Thrawn walks in, and he tells him, I know you're Fulcrum, and now I have the information to stop the rebels, and, and you just gave away your people, and you're a traitor. And they fight, and of course, Thrawn wins, and Thrawn is able to figure out where the rebel base was. It's interesting because that well, like one of my favorite quotes from probably the whole season. He tells Callus, you have the heart of a rebel. And he says, I'll take that as a compliment. So it's not just like Callus is like, boo-hoo, the Empire's mean to me. I'm going to join the rebellion. It's like he really believes in it. 
he really true does want to help them and thinks that they need to win. So I kind of wonder, like, you know, you saw the episode, The Honorable Ones, where they got stuck on the ice moon together. Yes. And at that point, he realizes, man, this guy who should have killed me was good to me. Not just to help me escape, but because he saw me as another being and didn't just wipe me out like the Empire would have. And also, Thrawn is just, like, super, super smart. It's he just was, creepy. He was, like, predicting the future. I mean, he was like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I know. If you listen to my exact order, this will happen. It was so creepy, and he was almost entirely right. Also, it's interesting because when Thrawn is trying to find Adelon, he finds it on a piece of art, not the Imperial map. Now, we know that in, in all the Imperial maps, Adelon is not on there. We don't know exactly why. But the Bindu hints that somehow if it was meant, somehow he's been hiding the world. But it's interesting to me that it's on this art, but it's not on the Imperial map. And maybe it's just that the Empire doesn't really care about art like Thrawn normally does. But it makes me wonder if there were, like, Force users who lived around Adalon. I imagine. Because, you know, the Bindu's there. And I can't remember where it was, but I thought he hinted somewhere about having done something to help other people in the past. Something like that. I mean, that may just be my memory making things up, but something about how he'd encountered other people, but I'm not sure. On to the next part, where the Rebels received enough of Callus' message to know the Empire is coming. They didn't get the whole message, but they know it's coming. And then all of a sudden, bang, Star Destroyers. They're blocked in. They can't get out. Hera says, we have to evacuate. We have to get everybody off Adlon. We gotta go. And Sato tells her, the ghost has the best chance of really helping us out we'll make a way and we'll we'll really help you and she's like no not me i'm not leaving ezra and kanan and chopper you go do it i'm staying right here on the ground and kanan's like nuh-uh i'm not leaving you behind and ezra's like yeah no we're all a family we all do it together that was interesting to me because number one we all know hera doesn't like to be on the ground when there's a battle in the sky she wants to be in her ship and also Maybe it's the whole kind of attachment thing kicking in, but like Kanan and Ezra are both Jedi. Kanan is more of an old style Jedi than Ezra is. Je- Ezra's technically not even a technical Jedi. He's just a kid who's been trained like a Jedi. But you know, Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments, but we know both of them have attachments. And you've seen it throughout the course of the show. Do you think that's good or bad? Uh, I think it's to their benefit because they have called upon Sabine multiple times and she has never declined. They all have attachments to each other, like when Kanan first got captured by the Empire. An old order Jedi who stuck by the book, like Obi-Wan, kind of. They would have been like, oh, we can't help him. You know, this is just our personal feelings. And like Hera said it, she said it at first. She was like, oh, we can't sacrifice the entire rebellion for one soldier. Well, of course, she didn't think that way. But do you think that's good? Because like we know attachment did not help Anakin at all. And in a way, it didn't help Ahsoka because... I don't actually believe she's dead, but for all we know, it caused her to die because she didn't want to leave her old master behind. So, I think their attachment is good, but do you think it could get them in trouble? I worry about Ezra, though, being attached to his family, which are the ghost crew. And, like, if they got hurt, could he possibly Erupt into anger and go back. Exactly. I don't know. It still makes me wonder. But, um, but I think... As far as Kanan and Hera's relationship goes, that is really healthy because it helps give them an amount of strength. However, what it could do to them if they lost each other, like if one of them was killed, 
I think either way, it's going to devastate Hera. And I don't think Kanan's going to turn dark. I don't know why, but I almost feel like, maybe this is not a good thing to feel, but I almost feel like he's past that now. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like he's um, in this bubble, just riveted on the good side. Exactly. And, like, he can still have trouble. He, he could start doubting himself, or he could get in trouble, but as far as, like, oh, they killed my best friend, I'm and like doing like Anakin did. I feel like he's not really going to go that path. I feel like he'd be more likely to get all mopey and go hide in a hole and, and never come out than actually go violent like Anakin did. So then, after all that, so then they agreed that Hera would stay there in command, Ezra would go find help and go, go help in the battle, and Kanan would go talk to the Bendy. He tells her, she, he's like, I've got to go ask a friend for help. And she's like, who? She has no clue who the Bindu is. Number one, I find that interesting that they haven't told her anything about the Bindu. But, you know, she's not a judge, so it kind of makes sense. But then it's also interesting to me because he's, she's like, who is it? And he's like, you wouldn't believe if I told you. I'm like, hmm, would she believe? I think she'd believe. I mean, she's, all, she's the one who thought that kid's force sensitive when she saw Ezra. So, do you think she'd believe? Yes, yeah, she would believe. I mean, maybe he didn't actually mean that. Maybe he's just basically like, I don't have time to tell you right now. Something that's interesting. Every time Thrawn is talking to Hera or about Hera, her last name is Sindula, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, he always says Sindula. He doesn't actually pronounce it right. It's kind of weird. It's not just his accent. It's just, like, for some reason, he always says her name wrong. Other people have noticed that, that he says her name wrong, and they've always been like, it may be in mocking, but maybe it just shows that he doesn't actually know them. He thinks he knows them as far as their battle tactics, but he doesn't know them personally. You know what I mean? Yes, like, it, I know you personally. Right. Uh, I may know your battle tactics, but I know you personally anyway. Right. Most people who know me know that one of my top favorite characters in Rebels is and has always been Hera. And I'm like, when she gets all business, I'm somewhere between liking it a lot and like, oh, she's so cool when she's all business. I'm like, oh, this is kind of hurting my heart right now. Because when she gets all business, she's almost to the point of, if she stays that way, she's like, I don't care what might happen. We're going to win. Not like she's going dark, but all her people could die and, and she just wants to win. Now, I don't think she's obsessive. I don't think she'd actually do that. But there were parts in the season, like, I'm like, oh, no. I hope that it just doesn't end up costing her everything. There was a quote in the Lego Star Wars Freemaker series where he was talking about what good is it for the galaxy to be free if the people you love aren't there to be free with you because the kid was might lose his brother and sister. And that's what I'm worried about for Hera is, like, well, yeah, she fought on the galaxy is free now. And it's not just her. It's really the whole crew. But what good is it if their family and the people they love the most in the galaxy aren't there? And just something that's kind of weird but uh, also interesting is that Thrawn is like, since early on in the season, he captured Hera. He talked to her face to face. He really got an idea of who she was. And they're like mortal enemies now. Kanan and the Inquisitor were enemies. Zeb and Callus were enemies. Not anymore. Sabine and I guess Governor Price are enemies. Well now Hera has an enemy and that's 
Thrawn. And it's like he's obsessed with taking her down. Like, she's standing there with Dodonna, who's one of the highest guys in all of the Rebellion, you know what I mean? And he keeps talking to her, not Dodonna. And, like, that's a prevailing theme. He's stuck on wanting to get her out. And it's like he said, I want you to know failure, utter defeat, and know that it is I who brings it crashing down around you. He doesn't just want to blow her up. He wants to be able to look her right in the eyes first and say, ha ha, I killed you. Not just, you're gonna die. Does that make sense? Yes. I think because, well, he doesn't like Hera because... They were face-to-face, and he found out a lot about her, which he doesn't she, like. She, like, defied him, and she still escaped. Yes, and he and he is like, everything has to be my way, or I will kill everybody. Right. I think also, Kanan drives that uh, speeder bike really, really well for a blind person. Early on in the season, if you saw those episodes, like, he was walking around when he first got blinded, and he was like this all the time. Like, he had his arms stretched out, and he couldn't see where he was going so he was like always really careful not to run into anything a lot of times i've completely forgotten that he's blind i'm like oh wait yeah the guy's blind he can't see where he's going he can't see where he's driving he doesn't seem to have any problems it's like he's gotten so used to seeing with the force and so then then you have um the battles going on up in the air we see gold leader we see all the y wings and we see the a wings and i love a wings and um Hera's working to with Sato to try to get a strategy together like at the last minute and they're trying to make a path so Ezra can get out and then back on the ground Kanan is talking to Bindu for help but he gets very upset because they've brought war and his world was peaceful and it was just him and the spiders and the bugs and now bam there's a bunch of humans and Twi'leks and Chiss running around and, and trying to shoot each other and he doesn't like that he says I'm the light the dark the balance we know that, as far as we know, the only way light and dark are truly in balance is when they're locked in war with each other. It's a constant struggle. The bad guys want to win. The good guys want to win. Yet he hates war. And he says he is light and dark. So he's got a war going on inside of him all the time. But he hates war. That makes no sense. Because then he says, I'm unknowable. He's like, oh, I'm this great being and you can never know me. And I'm so much better than you. And he's, he's like, really, he stopped, like, everybody's been like, whoa, he's like Yoda, and I love him. And I'm like, I don't, he's not, because in this episode, all of a sudden, like, in the end, he starts trying to shoot all the rebels, and he's just like, he stops acting nice, completely. And he shows that everybody, like, have you ever heard of the Grey Jedi? So, like, everybody thinks, they were a lot in old canon, but I don't think we have any in New Canon yet. And everybody thinks Grey Jedi are the coolest idea ever. That, oh, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to see a Jedi who uses the light side and the dark side? And I'm sitting there going, that wouldn't be very cool at all. Because to me, I think it's impossible. And number two, I, I mean, I think, back to number one, I think it's impossible because in every decision you make, every single thing you do is governed by one thing or the other. You can't use the light and the dark. Anakin tried to. He really did. And look where it got him. And then there was a Jedi called Quinlan Voss who kind of tried to. I've heard of him. All these things just blew up in his face because he tried to be on the dark side but not really be on the dark side. And these things, it doesn't work to be a gray Jedi. And then everybody claims that Ahsoka, when she comes back in Rebels, is a gray Jedi because she says, I'm no Jedi. Like, Vader says, revenge is not the Jedi way, and she says, but I'm no Jedi, and she tries to find revenge. I don't think that was necessarily revenge, 
maybe not in, in a bad way but just because she is no jedi just means she's not she doesn't have that title she doesn't have the name tag that says jedi anymore but she's not truly light and dark she may not follow all the jedi rules just like qui-gon didn't but she still is completely light um i think that um a gray Jedi is describing Ezra because he was learning from a Sith holocron and he was leaning towards the bad side, but then Kanan took it away from him and then he's like, light side again. Yeah. But the interesting thing is even he probably wouldn't be a gray Jedi because he stopped using the dark side. He learned from the Sith holocron and he learned from the Jedi holocron, but in the end, he's not still using the dark side. He's gone completely back light again. That makes sense? Yes. So... I don't know. Anyway, got distracted for a minute. But the Bindu, and he does not like war on his world. And that just makes me scratch my head, because I'm like, Guy, you say that you are an embodiment of war, and now the war is here. In reality, the physical battle going on between beings is just like a representation of the dark and the light going on inside of it. Back in the space battle, the Imperial blockade is too strong, and they can't get through, and, and their Y-wings and a-wings are being taken down left and right, and it's not good for him. Sato realizes that the time is up, that the situation is dire, and he tells Ezra, go to these coordinates, and then he tells all his crew to leave. And he moves his massive ship and gets right in and the way of Constantine. Cuts, he cuts the Star Destroyer in exactly. half and dies. See, Constantine is so prideful, Thrawn told him don't move, and he moved anyway, and he ended up dead. And so now both Constantine and Sato are dead. And these are guys who we've had with us since season two. And they both just died. And it just shows that things are amping up towards Rogue One. And it's, it's really sad. And just the look on Hera's face when she realizes what Sato's doing when he actually does it. They, this guy has been like their mentor, especially Hera. He taught her a lot. She really looks up to him and now he just drove himself into another ship. So, maybe for a little bit of hope. So, it's kind of like in Rogue One. And it makes me wonder, they've said that in Season 4, Hera's going to be super determined. And we know eventually she'll become a general. Maybe she'll try to, or maybe we'll see her will actually take Sato's place. Since Sato is gone, Phoenix Squadron is also gone. Some of the people from Phoenix Squadron are still there. But there is no technical Phoenix Squadron. Does that make sense? Yes. Now it's all just the Rebel Alliance. Kanan keeps on trying to convince Bindu that he has to help the fight. Please help them. His friends are dying. You can't just sit here and not respond. And, and Bindu's getting progressively more and more mad. Kanan says that, he says, I used to try to live that way and say the world would go on without me. But then when I saw innocence harmed, I couldn't just watch it all burn down around me. Some things are worth fighting for. The interesting thing about that is that's a direct reference to what happened on a planet called Gorse. There's a book about it, it's called A New Dawn, and it tells the story of how Kanan and Hera first met and first got started being rebels. He had a friend there, a man who he worked for, and his name was Okadiah, and he ended up dying. It hurt Kanan really bad, made Kanan upset because it was like the first person he'd been close to, besides his master. The first person since Order 66 he'd gotten close to, and he saw the Empire just kill him, and it wasn't because the man was a rebel, it was just because he was doing his job. Have you ever seen the movie A Monster Calls? 
It's about this boy who, um, his mom is dying of cancer, and Felicity Jones is in it, who plays Jen, and Liam Neeson is in it, who plays Qui-Gon, just his voice, it's not actually his body, it's just, he's just voice acting, but it's a good movie, but it's really sad, and in it there's a monster who's talking to the boy, and the boy's name is Connor O'Malley, and the monster sounds a lot like the Bindu, and the monster is voiced by Liam Neeson. The Bindu started reminding me a lot of Connor O'Malley's monster because anytime he talked to him, he called him by his full name. He was like, no, Connor O'Malley, we are going to do this. And the Bindu always does that. He says, no, Kanan Jarrus, or no, Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight. When I went back to edit this episode, I remembered what I was talking about when I thought the Bindu had said he helped others before. It was this scene from the episode Holocrons of Fate. Unfortunately, we don't have time to chat, Bendu. We've come for the Holocron. Ah, yes. The Keeper of the Shadow Law. Why do you want it? Tell him, Ezra. Uh, okay. We need it to save our friends. A Sith, Darth Maul, has them. He wants it. I do not know this Darksider, but I know his kind. Why does he want it? I don't know, but he also wants my Jedi Holocron. He would bring them together. Such a virgence carries grave danger. Why? I thought the holocrons were just libraries of information. They are that, and more. If two such powerful sources of knowledge are united, they will grant a clarity of vision beyond your kind. What does that mean? When joined, any secret, wisdom, or destiny can be seen through the Force. One could bring much chaos with such hidden truths. I have seen it before. Well, we can't control what Maul will do. That's his point, Ezra. Well, we still need it to save our friends, Kanan. So, are you gonna give it back or not? So that's the first part of our review of Zero Hour. Please tune in next time for the second half of that review. Thanks so much for listening in this time. Please check out my site, www.elfinpadawan.com where you can contact me with a comment to be read in the next show. Also, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes. Sound effects from this episode were from the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. A complete list of sound effects can be found at elvinpadawan.com, along with the other show notes for this podcast. Once again, thanks for listening. May the wind under your wings carry you to where the sun sails and the moon walks, and the force be with you always. Goodbye!